Basic to hip is the concept of digging to dig. Dig yourself, baby. You got a way to go. I'm Andy. And I'm Tim. And we're the Super Podcast Brothers. After the show, be sure to check us out at superpodcastbros.com. But until then, sit back, relax, and know it's not time for clacks. It's time for the greatest classic arcade show, present, future, or past. It's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. So, hi, uh, everybody. Welcome to the Pie Factory Podcast. Yes, the tingling fresh podcast, which brings you exciting new cholera, mange, dropsy, the clap, hard pad, and athlete's head. Dropsy the Clap was my uh, college nickname. Ah, well, it's from the House of Conquistador. Yes, Pie Factory Podcast, where we're not ashamed to rip off Monty Python. Uh, once again, from the uh, irradiated fields of Morris, Illinois, this is Jimmy G. And from the uh, Marshall Fields of Chicago, this is the Piper at the Gates of Sean. Don't you mean Macy's? Shut up. <laughs> uh, yes, I love when other uh, other places uh, try to steal uh, Chicago's thunder, but you can still at least get the uh, the Frango mints, which aren't actually made in Chicago anymore. I thought they were. I thought that was part of the agreement that they would be made in Chicago. I thought they uh, they uh, sent that out to Pennsylvania somewhere. Hmm. I don't know. Well, if you ever come to I was Chicago, never a fan anyway. So, oh, I love the Frango mints. Those things too were good. sticky for me. I prefer the Fannie Mae meltaways. Hey. You have to like the Frango Mints. They were Al Capone's favorite. So, enough said about that. Hey, the Frango Mints set off the explosives detector at O'Hare once. Really? Yep. I think it was, I don't remember if it was 2001 or 2002 when my wife and I were flying out of O'Hare over to New Jersey when we lived out there. And they shot our luggage through one of those explosives detectors and... They swabbed the luggage, put it in the explosives detector, and the explosives detector went crazy, and then people just shot up out of nowhere and crowded around the suitcase, and they had to like t- open it up and take everything out and inspect it. There was a box of Frango mints, and they're like, you know what? This is probably what did it right here. Oh, God. Because this machine is so sensitive. Chocolate and peanut butter will set it off. We're still trying to figure out how to adjust it so it doesn't happen anymore. The TSA, hard at work for you. That's insane. That's got to be the crappiest job in the world, too, because they don't get paid much to do that job. (laughs) They decide to blow up your suitcase, chocolate and mint everywhere. No, they they actually did, like, repack everything, so. Oh, really? Did they fold it back up nicely, or did they just shove it all in? Yeah, Yeah, they did. It was all all fine, yeah. They let us keep the chocolate, even though it was apparently explplosive, so. Explosive chocolate. Kind of like that game that you uh, you got at uh, the Midwest That's Gaming right. Classic last year. That's right, yeah. Oh, I can't wait till Ferg talks about that one. And I hope Bill at the uh, Atari Bytes podcast comes up with a story <laughs> for it. Oh, man, that's awesome. Oh, and uh, speaking of Atari Bytes, um, he did the episode on um, Towering Inferno. He made mention of the movie Airplane, saying the Airplane movies were by the Farrelly Brothers. No, they were not. Ooh. They were by the Zuckers, Abrams Zucker juggernaut of parody comedy from the early 80s. And the Fairley Brothers get a lot of flack, but I actually enjoyed their take on the Three Stooges, to be perfectly honest. Okay. It was uh, serviceable. It was not bad or horrible like a lot of people thought it was going to be. It was actually 
quite lovingly, and the most entertaining part of that movie was the first, like, 15 minutes or so where they followed the Three Stooges as they were orphans at a uh, at an orphanage. The guy from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, oh, Larry David, he was one of the nuns. I enjoyed the whole film, but the first 15 minutes were hilarious when they were in the orphanage. And uh, I heard a rumor they're actually going to do a sequel to the Three Stooges movie, just but... Oh, what could possibly go wrong? But what they're going to do is not do the uh, the Three Stooges as adults. They're going to follow them along when they were kids at the orphanage, and I think that would be awesome. But uh, that's just me. I enjoyed that movie. But, you know, enough about the Farrelly Brothers. There's not a lot of their movies that I really like a lot. Uh, the first Dumb and Dumber was insanely funny. See, I have no idea what their movies were, so, hey. Uh, I'm not a movie so guy, There really. was that one. There was that one. Uh, of course, Dumb and Dumber 2. T-O-O. When Harry Met Lloyd, I don't think was one of theirs. Uh, let me see. Uh, they did a couple of Jim Carrey, more Jim Carrey films. Uh, there was um, There's Something About Mary. And I don't remember what their last one, one was. Their other movies haven't been as popular lately. But, yeah. Thinking about it, I think the only one of theirs I saw actually was The Three Stooges and Dumb and Dumber. But there you are. Where? So... Wherever you go. Oh, okay. Oh, and uh, as long as I'm doing that joke, R.I.P. Florence Henderson. That's a tangentially Brady Bunch-related comment that I made. Did you see what somebody proposed uh, for the cover of Time Magazine for their Man of the Year? I did not, no. Death. They had a picture I could of see that. The, they had a picture of the, the traditional death with the scythe and then they had a list of all of the famous people that died in 2016 and also in that list they included the election of a certain um cheeto head uh guy as president chester cheetah chester cheetah i didn't know yeah. he was elected Made easy oh. being cheesy but uh that That's actually the third would time be in a row we've mentioned politics and like this kind of a, this election kind of thing like and we don't talk about we, politics we don't, we don't talk about politics so i don't know and i do want to say something since you had to bring up the whole uh, man of the year person of the year whatever thing that is not an award it is a recognition it is yeah it you don't have to be good to get it it clearly says in the description for better or for worse hitler got man of the year once it is. It's for and you don't even have to whomever, be a person. Or whoever, pardon my uh, incorrect grammar there, whoever makes basically the biggest impact in news, for better or for worse. And as I said, you don't even have to be a person. Nope. Because the PC won it one year, if I'm not mistaken. You know what really cheesed me off, speaking of Cheetos and everything, it was two or three years ago. I think that the time person of the year was such a freaking cop-out because they said, you are the person of the year. The person of the year is you. I remember that. Was that was such a cop-out. Yeah, what the hell was the deal with that? I don't know. You, for everybody that subscribed, they should have just put a, like one of those pieces of foil on the front so you could just look in there. Narcissist you know, of the year, I guess. I don't uh, know. Mr. Rogers should have been Time Magazine Man of the Year. When did he make a lot of news? That's exactly why he should have been Time Magazine Man of the Year. Huh. Interesting. And this whole 2016 people dying thing, there are people saying, oh, it's no more than any other year. I actually kept track of all of them. And I'm going to uh -huh. keep track of 2017, too, and just to see uh, you know, this, if 2017 isn't quite as harsh as it was this year. And just to prove people wrong. Random chance and all that. Yeah, yeah. 
At any rate, so, yes, uh, Pie Factory, your morbid podcast. Oh, yeah. For all your morbidity needs. So, what have you been playing? Um, I have been playing uh, the games that we're going to talk about today. And I've also been playing a lot of Arch Rivals because I got hooked again. It seems that we do, oh, when we Lord. talk about games, I tend to get hooked on them after we talk about them. I always loved Arch Rivals, but I was really, really getting into it lately. But, um, oh yeah, and I was in New Jersey for the Thanksgiving extended weekend. And uh, uh-huh. I also went to Maryland as well while we were there to visit some of uh, the missus's uh, uh, relatives, but. And while I was in New Jersey, I went to Asbury Park, which is something that 15 years ago, I would never have thought I would ever say. Because you didn't send me a postcard from there that said greetings. That's because postcards take forever to arrive. You'll probably get it in the next uh, March or so. Gosh, you missed the Bruce Springsteen reference. No, I didn't miss it at all. Believe me. Oh, okay. Trust me. I'm trying yeah, to Yeah, you avoid. know what? I guess I, I didn't lived miss there it either. For, I lived in Ocean Grove, which is next door to Asbury Park. I lived there for eight years. One of the reasons I got the hell out of New Jersey and came back here was to avoid Bruce Springsteen references. Well, that and it was New Jersey. Now that I'm back in uh, Chicago for what, what's been 10 years now, I can actually tolerate Bruce Springsteen again. I was never a huge, huge fan. But seriously, though, Asbury Park, when I moved to New Jersey, was a hellhole. It was mm-hmm. a, well, maybe not a hellhole, but it was a pee-pee-soaked heck hole. You know, and I, uh, I, was, uh, I was actually there for your wedding. Yes, you and, were. Um, and I can attest to exactly what you're talking about. Ocean Grove was a lot nicer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it was 2005 when they suddenly started like rebuilding and... You could walk all the way to the Asbury Park boardwalk, and things were suddenly open. There were new businesses, and it's only been getting better ever since. One of the new businesses that just opened, my mother-in-law actually gave me a heads up on this. It was called Kill Screen Games, and I thought maybe it was an arcade, but it's actually a video game store kind of along the lines of, say, Sean Kelly's store. I have to interrupt you. That's a great name for any sort of a video game store or arcade. Yeah. There's an antique mall in downtown Asbury Park, and next door to the antique mall, there's like another kind of sort of antique mall, and it's a tiny store inside that little mall, but they have games for pretty much every system. I, I, didn't, I didn't see anything for Vectrex or any of the really obscure Tony ones. Tudor. I didn't see any Tommy Tudor games. They had a small selection of Atari uh, 2600, 5200, 7800, a lot of Nintendo stuff, a lot of Sega stuff. While I was there, because I know people who are looking for the uh, elusive Nintendo mini thingy console. Mm -hmm. So I asked the guy behind the counter. Turns out I I saw a newspaper article about this store after I went there. Turns out there was the owner of the store. But he was eating a salad, and I just asked him. I said, hey, by any chance, do you have any of those uh, uh, new Nintendo mini thingies? And he just about spit-taked his salad (laughs) because he was... I think he found that so funny that I asked. If he, it wouldn't hurt. But while I was there... He laughed so hard that he passed a crouton through his I nose. I know. I know. But hey, it's a good way to clean <laughs> the nose. You don't want to, didn't have to blow it. But while I was there, I picked up the Activision Decathlon for the 2600, complete in box for nine ninety nine. It was in really good shape. Still is in good shape. It survived the flight home, so I was happy to go there. The TSA didn't blow that one up, did they? It was in my carry-on. They found my laptop suspicious, though, for some reason. Well, because it's a laptop, you could hack into... You, you know how computers can do just about anything. At least that's what Hollywood tells us. Oh, that's very, very true. 
so I stopped over at um, Kill Screen Games, and then after that, here I am thinking, okay, you know, I'll just take a little walk over to uh, Silver Ball Pinball Museum because my wife and my mother-in-law were busy shopping. But I didn't play any pinball. I was over there. I didn't really have enough time. I was only there for maybe maybe an hour. I play a lot of Centipede to get some practice in, and they had their machine set for five lives plus a bonus marathon settings, so you could keep getting all the bonus lives you want. Ten thousand point bonus life, which is pretty not advanced at all, and I still couldn't break one hundred and fifty thousand. I was so <laughs> mad, and. um I played Super Breakout, the arcade version, for the first time. I, it was there the last time I was there, but I couldn't get it working. And man, mm-hmm. Super Breakout in the arcade is so boring. It is creative how they get the colors on that game, but hey, that's something we should talk about sometime. Super Breakout. Indeed, we should. You say creative how they got the colors. Did they just have a label that they slapped on the machine? Pretty much, pretty much, because it's actually a black and well, white game. And it really explains the uh, Game 7 on the Atari 2600 version, which is the progressive, where where the walls actually come down at you after every few volleys. And it actually does explain why the colors in that work the way they do. So it's it's pretty fascinating how they do that. That is that is one thing I liked about it. But hey, but that's for another show, I hope. Now, here's the important question, and I think I know the answer to this. Did you make it out to Richie Knuckles? I did not, except for Newark Airport, and that was after we landed. I, I went no further than north than Asbury Park and no further west than Neptune, except to get on the interstate to go to Maryland. Ah. See, the problem is when there are three people in your party and there's only one car oh. owned by one of those three people, it's not easy to get around. So you went to Maryland, so did you throw eggs at Ferg's house? I did as we drove through Delaware. Nice. Now, of course, you don't know where Ferg lives, though, but you just threw him what you thought the general direction would be. I'm pretty sure I found his house, and so, yeah. Oh, nice. I had no proof that it was not his house. <laughs> Roving gangs of podcasters. <laughs> Throwing down. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So, you might be wondering, what have I played lately? No. You're, you're not wondering? No. Hmm. I have to admit, I haven't been playing a whole lot. Um, with the exception, last night my son was taking me through some of the new additions to Minecraft, and I played that quite a bit, like three years ago, four years ago, something like that, and... Um, yeah, I eventually got bored with it, but my son's like involved with it, and he was showing me some of the stuff, and it is nothing like it was even just a year ago. I mean, they're adding so much freaking stuff in there. Like, one of the new things with the new update, they added mansions to the game, and villagers that you can interact with that uh, will sell you maps, and um, it's just amazing how this game is just... I don't know, it's just like they seem to like be adding stuff just because they can. I mean, hey, I mean, it's still popular. I'm not going to, you know, dispute the success, but um, sure, it's gotten a lot more insane than it used to in some regards. But my problem with Minecraft is it's it's not really so much a game as it is like a, a living environment. It's kind of like a blocky version of The Sims in a way, I guess. It's The Sims combined with Lego in a way. Well, with all of the elements simplified down. And that kind of, that like turned me off after a while because I was... Spending all of my time mining, mining, mining. It is Minecraft after way. But the other part of Minecraft is crafting things. And you have to get X amount of 
like resources before you could build things as simple as a ladder and and it just it it, it just it wasn't fun anymore for me that's the reason i gave up world of warcraft uh, several years ago as well it just wasn't fun for me anymore i i tried it once and i just couldn't get into it at all well the, the thing that i loved most about minecraft and every now and then i'll go back to it play it for a few minutes but every now and then You'll dig your mind, dig your mind, dig your mind, but then all of a sudden you'll break into these large underground caverns. And not just little caves, but caverns that have ceilings like several hundred feet up. And then you'll walk down and then you'll see these waterfalls full of lava, and there's some really beautiful stuff in the game. But it's just the process of trying to find that stuff that just kind of doesn't do it for me. But And as far as World of Warcraft goes, it was the same thing. You had to just keep grinding away trying to get experience points so you can get that new sword and then going on raids and you know you're with like 10 other people then they'll drop this one epic item which has a one one millionth of a chance of dropping and then everybody's fighting over it and it's i just couldn't do it anymore but uh as far as what i've actually been playing uh after doing some research for the show one of the games uh had some interesting trivia that I thought, and I decided to play some of the games that are tangentially related to it. And uh, so I was playing uh, just today some uh, some rounds of a game I'd never played, never seen before, Mr. Driller. Oh, really? And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on in conjunction with one of our games, but uh, that's a fun game. I really, really enjoyed that. But uh, we'll get to that in a little so that's pretty much how everything everything I've been playing. I need to get back to my Raspberry Pi. Western Digital has a uh, three was it three hundred and fourteen gigabyte hard drive specifically designed for Raspberry Pi. And you know why it's three hundred and fourteen gigabyte? Pi. Oh, I see what they did there. Uh, I see what they did there. And that drive was uh, like thirty five bucks. Maybe it was forty something like that. Now they got a one terabyte drive that they designed specifically for the Raspberry Pi. It's like 60 bucks. And I'm like, holy crap, I think I know what I'm going to get. Yeah, right. And and uh, try to uh, see what I can do with that. Um, I haven't actually touched my Raspberry Pi in a while. But uh, I want to get back into it, uh, especially with all this stuff about the uh, the NES Classic Mini. Which I'm still trying to find a project to do with my Raspberry Pi. I don't think I just want to run emulation off it. I think I actually want to... Hat. Media Center. Mm. Mm. Media Center. You could put slap Cody on that puppy, and uh, you have your own Media Center hook up to your TV. You can uh, firewall with it. Uh, you can have it. There's literally so much you could do with it. You could even have something a little bit more creative, creative than that. You know, original Simple but creative. You know, hmm. if it, what I would love to do is I would like to get a programmable marquee for the car. So you push a button and it'll say like something like, turn off your brights, jackass. Things like that. <laughs> Use your effing ashtray, moron. Uh, that's one of my big pet peeves. Tonight, I, on the way home from work, I got hit by two cigarettes from the vehicle in front of me. Oh, jeez. I really hate that. That pisses me off to no end. Yes, I know most vehicles these days don't have ashtrays. However, you've got two cup holders and they make ashtrays that'll fit into one. Well, then where am I going to put my drink? Not my problem. Mm-hmm. I just don't want your ashtray out, your your cigarette butts on my car. Yeah. Oh man. Speaking of raspberry pies, my wife's. Oh, we haven't talked about pies. Have my we? wife's aunt made a wonderful butter pecan pie. 
Yeah. Oh, man, it was so awesome. Well, I don't know if it was butter pecan, but it was pe- actually it was just pecan pie. She didn't say butter, but oh, man, it was so good. And I'm not a fan of pie. And actually having that pie and also the blueberry crumb pie from Delicious Orchards, as mentioned in the previous I was going to ask you about that. How was that blueberry it pie? And did you bring me remember, one? It's awesome. Do they mail order those things? I don't Can know. You order those? I don't know. But we. Ha- I want to try one of those. I don't know, but... Uh, but having that pie and my aunt-in-law's pecan pie, even though they were both amazing, it reminded me why I don't like pie. Because the crust can be so freaking dry. Even if you put a ton of Cool Whip or Ready Whip on it, it's still dry, and especially that little thick part at the very edge. You know, that is one reason I like cheesecake. Oh, I because hate it's cheesecake. Like the... You hate I cheesecake? St- Cream Please cheese tell me you're is one of intolerant. the most horrible things i've ever tasted i can't stand cheesecake very few things that actually use cream cheese i can stand very few things and cheesecake is not one of them heretic i even had a little taste of cheesecake at juniors in new york city my wife said if i don't like that cheesecake i'll never like cheesecake well i will never like cheesecake heretic holy i i i, I don't know you wow i I've known you for well over 20 years, and I did not know that you didn't like cheesecake. It's not that I didn't like cheesecake. It's that I still don't like cheesecake. Well, you know what I mean. Wow, don't like cheesecake. Of course, with this, that discussion, should we call ourselves the Cake Factory now? Um, was Is there a, um, a video game that has a famous Cake Factory level? I can't think of any video games that have. And a we cake still got to be the Pie Factory. No, 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 no. Junior Pac-Man doesn't. Junior Pac-Man have a slice of cake? I don't think it does. Um, I do believe Exciting New Pac-Man Plus has it. Well, let's just do a quick Google search for Pack Cake, and let's see what comes up. Oh, I had a Pac-Man cake for my birthday one year. I know there's a. In fact, I think I have a picture of it on my hard drive. Let's see, Junior Pick. Oh, you know what? No, 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 no. I think it's Super Pac-Man. Super Pac-Man, yes, absolutely. That's what it was. Yeah, Super Pac-Man does. Again, another Pac-Man game we got to get to. Yep. And um, Stage 8 in Super Pac-Man is uh, does have cake. Yeah, I knew either so. that or the other Pac-Man game that I was thinking of had Let it. Let Pac-Man so. eat cake. So, and with that, uh, I don't know, should we... Addenda and eroticize this this uh, summon a botch. Yeah, I guess so. Ah, awesome. So I think I will start. Uh, I know, I'm pretty sure you've got some, but uh, I have a few. One thing glaring omission from track and field is uh, the attract mode uses the song "Chariots of Fire" from the movie of the same name. The song was written and composed by Vangelis, otherwise known as Evangelos Odysseus Papathanasio. Easy for you to say. Yeah, so to speak. And uh, his other works include music for the films Blade Runner, Missing, Antarctica, which I don't know that one, 1942 Conquest of Paradise, and Alexander. And his music was also used in the PBS documentary series... Cosmos, A Personal Voyage by Carl Sagan. Ah. So that was kind of interesting uh, when I found out that uh, there's an arcade game that has uh, some sort of relation, albeit roundaboutly, to Carl Sagan. Interesting there. Let's try to find two other games that have a roundabout connection to Carl Sagan and theme those together and Hmm. see where we come up. 
So, so um, many cradle Catholics have also recognized chariots of fire as being a hymn written by the Reverend Carrie Landry called Abba father. Did they take a chance on that song? Oh, shut up. I guess these jokes are my water. (laughs) You knew I was going to go there. You had to know I was going to go there. I I know, but Hey, what was I going to Fernando? That didn't work. Did it? I mean, when you sew Dancing Queen around <laughs> things like that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That that, that, <laughs> okay, that was genuinely funny. I have to give you credit for that one. Okay. As opposed to the times you're not genuinely funny, which is usually. So you were saying. Yeah, I was saying um, Delicious Orchards does do mail order, but I don't see the blueberry crumb pie as a mail order option. Hmm. Other pies, I'll have yes. To check that out. I will have to check. Yeah, that you out. need I'm to sure take a field trip to New Jersey and go to Delicious Orchards, Yestercades, and Richie Knuckles. You know what? For anybody listening, if you would like to make a donation to uh, the Pie Factory New Jersey Vacation Fund, uh, we will make sure that we go to New Jersey and we buy blueberry pie and spend all of our money at Richie Knuckles and Silver Ball, and we will spend none of it on hookers and blow. That is our promise to you. Once again, Jimmy G wants to vacation in New Jersey. You heard it here. Well, you do know that I do suffer from mental illness, so I mean that's got to count for something there. Even still. I guess that's a special kind of mental illness. Some more track and field notes. This is actually errata now. Uh, I was saying how the Nintendo Entertainment System track and field had all of the events from track and field and hypersports. That is not true, because then it would have 12 events, and it only has, I believe, 8. The NES track and field has the 100-meter dash, the long jump, the 110-meter hurdles, the javelin, and the high jump from track and field. It is missing the hammer throw, so there's no hammer time on the NES track and field. And it's only got three events from hypersports, and that is skeet shooting, skeet shooting, triple jump, and archery. Now, I did a little further research. Track and Field 2 on the NES does have the hammer throw and the pull vault from Track and Field, but all of the events from Track and Field 2 are the hammer throw and the pull vault from Track and Field, the triple jump, swimming, and shooting from Hypersports, although the, the mechanics are probably different because the, uh, the graphics, I believe, on it are updated. And it also has three additional events that are not in any of the arcade of. Uh, track and field games, although I don't know if they're in the, um, what was the, uh, there was a second sequel, it was, uh, it was like Olympics 88 or something like that. In addition, track and field 2 on the NES also has the high dive, taekwondo, and fencing. So, if you want your fencing fix, track and field 2 on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And yes, there is no curling. Hallelujah. Uh-huh. Curling is not a sport. Curling is a way to practice making sure your your house is spick and span. Why else would they have brooms? Oh, you know how so. that goes. No, I don't, actually. Oh. You should see my room. Oh, no, I shouldn't. So. Do you have any addenda and or errata? Um, yes, um, I suppose I do. And I could have sworn that when we recorded that you mentioned that Chariots of Fire thing, but Hyde must have cut it out for some reason. I know I mentioned it to you in private conversation because that's oh. not the kind of thing you want the general public to know. I can I can kind of see that there. Yeah, but now that I've let the cat out of the bag, I'm not going to be on this earth much longer. Well, 
Well, we so. better hurry up and finish up this episode then. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I got some A&E, as I like to call it here in my notes. The arts and entertainment. Arts and entertainment, yes. yes. Uh, so, first of all, there is Mad Men, which... Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Um, That's AMC. I had mentioned Twin Galaxies reopening. In fact, we talked about that twice, yes. I think. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about it a third time. Yeah, I said it was a pinball arcade. Actually, it wasn't just pinball. And they are looking to have it a permanent fixture once again in Otumwa, Iowa. So uh, it is kind of sort of temporary now, but they're looking to make it more permanent. And I had also said, hey, Tim McVeigh, as far as I know, was in town for both the Rosemont convention that happened in the summer and for Underground Retrocade. Um, I found out, no, that's not true at all. He was exclusive to Underground Retrocades Man vs. Snake event, so... An Underground Retrocade exclusive. I'm telling you, man. So, wait, was he uh, watching out for anything? Um, I don't know. Watch out for... Hold the string. I don't know how careful he is. Yeah. We haven't used that drop in I mean, some time, God, actually. Z must have been watching out for something. I don't know what, though. It stinks. And, oh, you had wondered who the owners of Pixel Blast are because you you felt bad. And I, yeah, I actually felt bad, too. Yeah. I keep forgetting people's names. And that's just, yeah. a, I mean, unless I, I interact with people on a regular basis, I just keep forgetting them. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I, I haven't gotten back to Pixel Blast yet. And it's not that far from work. And I keep wanting to do it. Oh, they were doing a special, too, where uh, they're giving away a one-day free entry where you have to share and comment and like their post on Facebook or something. I don't know if it's still going on. If you're in the Chicago area, like the, uh, the underground retro page, underground retro page. <laughs> that's, you know what? That's what he should call his page. Uh, the Ooh, underground yeah. retrocade page, Logan, uh, Logan arcade, galloping ghost, pixel blast and Onet gaming. Uh, there's five plugs right there. And there's one Dang. place I've never been to one place. Sean's never been to. So, Oh Yeah. But anyway, the owners are, well, like we mentioned before, Paul, and I don't know if it's pronounced Ojeda or Ojeda. I still haven't gotten clarification. I would say Ojeda. I'm guessing Ojeda. I would say Ojeda. Yeah. And Trickman TJ Terry Minich is the other owner. TJ. At least that's what I was told. And nice. And when we were going through, and by we I mean I, was going through the Nibbler high scores on Orcade.com, there were a couple of Ojedas on there, Luke and Sebastian. They are Paul's kids. So. They have some. Oh, really? They have some pretty significantly high nibbler scores. We talked about it before when uh, the one kid whose name is escaping me for the moment set the world record on Mad Planets at Galloping Ghost, and it's it's I, I love seeing kids uh, going out there oh, yeah. and uh, playing these old games and that. And you, you know what? You really think about it. I mean, people are like, "Well, you guys are just you know reliving your what you know whatever." And like Brian Scott Lambrick, friend of mine uh, who's also active in the Illinois. Libertarian Party, along with me. He's an old classic movie But we're uh, not talking about politics buff. on this show. <laughs> no. But uh, he's a huge, uh, like, uh, classic black and white silent movie buff. And he is always going out to, um, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of the place in, this, in Chicago. But he's always attending stuff like that. And, you know, it's preservation societies like that that are keeping the spirit of the old movies alive. Chicago has the Museum of Broadcast History, them and the website fuzzymemories.tv, which is an awesome website you should all visit once in a while, uh, are keeping classic television alive. And uh, that's what guys like Doc and Scott, the guys at Onet, the guys at uh, Pixel Blast, uh, Logan Arcade, um, 
whatever. That's that's what we're doing. We're just doing that for the newer entertainment medium, if you will. And because we and, like the uh, attention. Well, we're narcissists. I mean, how many times do I have to say that? Well, yeah. But no, but but seriously, I mean, it's it's you know, it's about having fun, but it's also about preservation and, you know, that's again, if you listen to the Galloping Ghost uh, podcast, they talk a lot about uh, about, you know, trying to keep the machines up and going so that people can enjoy them because it's it's about having fun and it's about preserving the history. And uh, as long as we're on this earth, people are going to be playing these games in one form or another. Yeah. And about that whole, well, you're just trying to relive your childhood. Well, truth is, I never stopped liking and playing these games. I never did. It's more like I'm continuing what I always did. I mean, I'm, I'm just hooked on them, you know? And I never grew up. So, I mean, I'm not reliving my childhood. I'm still in my childhood, you know, even though I'm almost 50. And your dad can't you know, claim still, you as a dependent. No. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I still got two years to 50, but, you know. Oh, boy. Wow, I, I, I have been, like, bringing this podcast down a lot lately. What is it with me? So We're just too happy, rate, so we have to balance it out with some morbidity. So are we done here? No. We... No, we have a, there was a lot we got wrong. Oh, oh, do tell. Like track and field. This is simply a misspeaking on my part. I said that I was struggling over the high jump. That would imply that I actually got to the high jump. I actually meant the long jump is what I was struggling with. The long with. jump. So sorry, everybody. Which is one of the ones which I think you can tap the button to go further. Yeah, I think so. And Arch Rivals, Arch Rivals. I had said that it takes three credits to finish a game, and Hyde kind of caught me on that because I heard, I heard him put the sound effect in there. I was like, wait, why does he know more about this than I do? He's an hmm. audio guy. He's not a gamer. I did some searching and some research, and I played the game f- uh, several more times. Sure enough, it actually takes seven credits to play an entire game of Arch Rivals, at least on the default settings. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Did we ever determine how what how long one credit lasts in Arch Rivals? Um, I don't think there's necessarily a set time. I think it's more like it determines when like a very suspenseful time will be like basically when it detects a cliffhanger. Huh. And sure enough, every well, then, well, time it pr- that that can't be it though because I was request uh, there were, I got those screens all the time and there's nothing in my play that would indicate a, a, a suspenseful. Well, you don't like basketball, so maybe it actually is suspenseful for most for people who do like basketball. Something oh, that I did figure out though true. is that basically if you already have several credits in the machine or any additional credits besides one you're playing, it won't interrupt the game. It'll keep going. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of yeah. neat. You know, maybe that's why I, I wasn't seeing... Uh, no, I said I was seeing. Yeah. What the heck am I thinking? Oh, no, I was thinking about my time at uh, 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 Galloping Ghost, where I only was only put the one in. They're on free play, so I only hit the, yeah. the credit button one time. But when I was here, I had cheats yeah. turned on. I'd also said that if you want to do that flying leap move, which uh, one of the benefits of that is that you can actually de-pants your opponent. I said to hold down, shoot, and and uh, pass the ball. It's the other way around, actually. You hold down the pass button, and you push shoot. Press shoot there. And we mentioned also the backboard shattering. Like if you do a slam dunk, it may shatter. What I like about Arch Rivals is that for the remainder of the period, the backboard stays shattered. It doesn't repair itself like in some games. One-on-one. So I thought that was a nice thing. And the best thing, I didn't realize this. It's not just Arch Rivals, but I know... An, at least one other midway game does. I don't think it's by the mm. the team that eventually became Game Refuge. 
but Arch Rivals uses a 49-way analog joystick. Oh, kind of like uh, similar to Sinistar and Food Fight. That's That must be what I'm thinking about, probably Sinistar. Food Fight used one also, though. Yeah. I think, was it 49-way? It, 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 was, it was up there. It was in the 40s. Yeah. You know what would be neat is if uh, in Arch Rivals you could play as characters from the movie Wild Guitar or Egon, and then you could call the game Arch Hall Jr. Rivals. Yeah. Or include yeah. uh, the director slash father in the movie Ega, and that way you don't even have to specify junior or senior. It's just Arch Hall Ooh. rivals. Yeah, Arch Hall rivals. Oh, yes. On the one team would be the father, and the other team would be the kid. It would be Arch Hall rivals. Oh, I think we're on to something. Ooh. Now if I could only figure out how to hack meme graphics, we'd be set. And hey, remember, remember what we talked about before is that in Arch rivals, you can do the hometown heroes option. You have to enable <gasps> the... Um, you have to put the machine into service mode. Yeah. And you can probably program your own Arch, Arch Hall Rivals team. Ooh. So you can have a team a named Arch Hall Rivals. I would want Richard Keel on my team, though. Because he's, he's huge. I would like to include Richard Keel, but he keeled over a couple of years ago. Then I mentioned that he was actually going to do a personal appearance in Kankakee, Illinois. I knew about that uh, too. And, yeah, and and what happened was it was in uh, it was about uh, it was a James Bond thing actually. They were showing it was either Moonraker or The Spy Who Loved Me, and um, he canceled the appearance. And the day after he canceled, he died. He died on the day he would have been in Kankakee, which was kind of sad. From all from all uh, everything I've heard, he was actually the nicest guy you'd ever meet. Oh yeah, yeah. Usually, a lot of the people that play bad guys in movies are described as the nicest guy you'll ever meet and the nice guys are described as quite the opposite interesting how that works i would do this room in france provincial the color scheme should be lavender and puce so at any rate what should we do with this are we is that addenda and errata for today that's that's really it um all right so what should we do with this addenda and errata i, I don't feel like blending or microwaving it or whatever I know what we'll do. Oh. I know what we'll oh, do. Oh. Um, do tell. Yes, we'll uh, we'll uh, fill Addenda and Errata up with air until its belly explodes. <laughs> yeah, which is actually would be an, a good segue if I was going to choose the next game we talk about, but I'll let you do that, Sean. Which game do you want to talk about? Um, You know what? Let's talk about um, Dig Dug. Uh, Dig Dug. I'm trying to you know, mix things up a little bit with the... So, yes, Dig Dug. Yes, uh, 1982 Atari game. The object is to destroy all the monsters. So, that's all about Dig Dug. See you all next week. No, um, mainly because we'll be back in two weeks. No, seriously, Dig Dug. The object of the game is to destroy all the monsters. The controls, you got a joystick. Believe it's... Well, believe nothing. It is a four-way. And you've got a pump. And it is an air pump like you would use on a bicycle. And the way you destroy the enemies is by pumping up, pump up their bellies till they explode all over you. Oh, gosh. My rap career was sidelined about 10 lifetimes ago. Oh, how unfortunate. Yes, so you blow up, fill them up with air until their bellies explode. The screen is comprised of four different layers of the earth. There's a little bit of, you know, blue skies at the top with a few little flowers on the side. Uh, first of all, the flowers indicate, you know, which level you're on. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more if I have it in my notes here. When the game starts, Dig Dug comes in from screen left. And he digs a little tunnel to the middle of the screen. 
And situated on the screen, in, in amongst the four different colored layers of dirt, are little caverns, which house the enemies, and rocks. The other way that you can destroy the enemies is by dropping a rock on them. All you got to do is dig up underneath and the rock will fall. And if you're not careful, the rock will fall on you. Uh, unlike Mr. Do, you cannot push the rock. The rock just falls right where it is. Now, the enemies. Uh, there you have. There are only two enemies in this game. Uh, you have the Puka, which is a tomato-looking thing wearing safety goggles with a little yellow rim around the safety goggles. And to be quite honestly, I think Puka is the cutest enemy in any video game we've talked about so far. And then you've got Figar, which is a green fire-breathing dragon. Uh, he can only breathe fire left or right. Uh, he will flash and pause for a moment before he breathes fire. Both of them can turn into ghosts. Uh, Puka, you'll, all you'll see is just basically the goggles. Figar, you'll see a dragon face. When they turn into a ghost, they can travel through the dirt, and they make a beeline right toward you. Puka and Figar, they sound like characters from Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Droppo, you are the laziest man on Mars. You might be wondering, how many points do you get for blowing up the monsters? Oh, uh, Jimmy G. Yes? How many points does one get for blowing up the monsters? Glad you asked that. Fire breath. Man, you are much better at those sort of Johnny Carson type sayings than I am. Uh, it depends on how many points you get for blowing up the monsters. As I mentioned before, the screen is divided into four sections. Uh, each of the sections of the ground are a different color. And the first layer is just the one closest to the top. And then there's a second layer, third layer, fourth layer. Now, if you're closer to the top of the screen in the first layer... For blowing them up, you get 200 points. If you're in the second layer, you get 300. Third layer, 400. And the fourth layer, 500. There is one caveat to that. If you blow up a Figar horizontally from its left or right, you get double the points because Figar cannot breathe his fire up or down, only left or right. So you got to watch out for that. What about dropping rocks on monster? If you drop a rock on one monster, you get 1,000. If you do two of them, 2,500. Three is 4,000, four of them is 6,000, five of them is 8,000, six of them 10,000, seven of them 12,000. And if you could get eight monsters crushed with one rock, first of all, you'll have the admiration of everybody in video game land. But on top of it, you get 15,000 points. There is one other thing, two other things you can earn points on. Uh, I did forget to mention that you get 10 points for each unit of dirt that Dig Dug digs. Dig Dug digs, yeah. 10 points per unit of dirt that dig, dug, dug, or dug, dig, dug, dug, digs. Yeah. Like, if you don't dig and you say dig, I dig where you're at. Anyway, after that, after you drop two rocks, there will be a bonus item. It appears in the middle of the screen. First round's a carrot. That's 400 points. Second round's rutabaga. That's 600. Next is mushroom. is 800. Rounds four and five. It's a cucumber for 1,000. Six and seven is an eggplant for 2,000. Eight and nine is a bell pepper for 3,000. 10 and 11 is tomato for 4,000. 12 and 13 is an onion for 5,000. 14 and 15, watermelon for 6,000. 16 and 17, it's a galaxian for 7,000. Galaxian's pretty much in every... The flagship is pretty much in every Namco game after Galaxian. Uh, and then from round 18 to infinity, it's a pineapple worth 8,000 points. I had been playing Dig Dug for years, not realizing 
that a bonus item came out at all because I would just try to destroy the the, the guys and not uh, worry about the rocks at all. Now I'm purposely going through and dropping the rocks just to get the the bonus items, which is probably not a good strategy, but I do it now. I think I played Dig Dug for like 10 years before I realized there was a bonus item that came out after you dropped two rocks. Dude, I've been playing Dig Dug for over 30 years, and it was only this year that I figured out that dropping two rocks is what triggers the bonus prize. And you know, and you know what's sad? Is everybody figured out what triggers the bonus prizes in Pac-Man first. And that's a lot more complicated than figuring out what triggers the uh, the bonus items in Dig Dug. 70 dots, what's so hard about that? Like, people counted that. Two rocks is a lot easier to count to than 70 you dots. You just look at your score when you get 700 points. Oh, yeah? Okay, yeah, like like I'm going to do math when I play a video game. Nice, nice. On the first screen, you look and see what your score is. If it's almost 700 points, position yourself near the thingy. What's hard about that? You don't even need to do the math. And people have smartphones now. Smartphones have calculators. You can have the smartphone do your damn math for you when you're playing Pac-Man. Well, laddie frickin' da! Just put yourself in that little hiding place in that tea island. Well, you know what I think I'm going to do since you've got an attitude is I'm going to talk about Dig Dug some more. Yeah, Figar can breathe through... Can it, it breathes fire, fire-breathing dragon. Duh. And when you dig a, a section of dirt out, unless you dig out all four sides, there will be like a little thin wall of dirt. Like if you got two horizontal or two vertical passages next to each other, there will be a little thin wall of dirt there. Figar can breathe his flame through a thin wall of dirt. So don't be next to one of those unless you can kill Figar really quick. When there's only one enemy left on the screen, he will try to escape to the upper left-hand side of the screen, even though my notes say right, it is actually the left. Now, sometimes later on, it, I think, I don't know if it's in the first level, but I do know what happens in the second level. If uh, there's two enemies left on the screen, you'll hear a uh, like a speed-up sound effect then the uh, the monsters get a little faster, and then after you kill one of them, he tries to get to the uh, upper left of the screen. Oh, yeah. You move a little faster when the monster tries to escape to help you catch up. And in fact, one thing I forgot to mention is when Dig Dog... Dig Dog. <coughs> Such a wow. Um, when Dig Dog... <coughs> Dig Dog walks, he makes a this musical... He pl- it plays this tune, and when you stop... The tune stops, and when you start walking again, the tune starts again. And uh, I guess to some people it could become repetitive, but I like the little. It's kind of like the Torgo music, because every time Torgo walks, it's it is Torgoish. It is Torgoish in a way. I never thought about that, but it is Torgoish, especially some of the home translations of that song. <laughs> but yeah, you are right. It is Torgoish. And to explode one of the enemies, it takes multiple pumps of air. You just don't hit it one time. You have to hit it multiple times. Now, if you hold the pump button down, he will pump it, pump up the monster. You know, it's it, it, seriously, that time it was actually hard for me to say that without thinking of that pump up the jam song. Uh, he will pump up the monster, but he will do it slow. You just keep tapping the button, you know, like you, know, like you do in track and field to run. Just keep tapping that button. So that will make it go a little faster. If you pump up the enemy, but you don't explode him, he will be stunned. Stunned? And you can walk through him. 
Uh, there are 15 different screens in the game, so everything is in the same pattern, where the monsters are, where the rocks are, and all that. Uh, after the 15th screen, screens 12 through 15 repeat, or so the theory goes, because I can actually make it a little ways into Dig Dug. I've always been kind of good at Dig Dug, but again, I've not been great. Uh, some robbery visions actually do have a kill screen at level 256, and even though this is, can be changed in the dip switch settings, you can get extra men awarded at 20,000 and 60,000 points. Now, shall we talk about sequels? Why, yes, let's talk about sequels. First of all, there's a... Uh, wait a minute. The notes I have says Dig Dug is a sequel to Dig Dug. That's not right. Okay, let's start with Dig Dug 2, which uh, you're still battling Puka and Figar, except instead of digging a tunnel in the earth, you're trying to collapse islands, and it's nowhere near as fun as this one. I don't hate the game, but it's not fun. Then in uh, the 90s, Namco came out with uh, three-in-one one cabinets of their games called the Namco Classics Collection. Dig Dug was in Namco Classics Collection 2, and you could choose from either the original Dig Dug or what they call Dig Dug Arrangement, which has different uh, different graphics, different power-ups. Like it has, uh, I, th I believe, uh, a bigger rock in it, and uh, might be a few more enemies. I have not played that. Then, of course, there was, in 2001, on the PC, there was something called Dig Dug Deeper, which I've never heard of. And then... Namco Battle Collection on the PlayStation Portable in 2005 has Dig Dug Arrangement. The DS in 2005 has Dig Dug Digging Strike. And there's actually a pretty good hack of Dig Dug uh, in the arcade called Zigzag. And uh, the only real difference in it, there was a bonus item of a pickaxe, which actually speeds you up, which I, which I thought was kind of nice. Now, as for ports, this was widely ported. Uh, I'm just going to go through the classic systems here because it's been ported to a lot of things. Uh, first of all, it was on all of the Atari systems, the 26, the 52, the 78, the XE, or the 8-bit computers. It was on the Famicom Disk System, uh, the Commodore 64, the Apple II. Uh, the ColecoVision, I believe, was only a prototype, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but the ROM was found and you can play it on the ColecoVision. Uh, the Intellivision, the TI-99-4A, the VIC-20, the IBM PC, and the Nintendo Entertainment System. And the caveat about the Nintendo Entertainment System is while Dig Dug was released on it, it was not released on the Nintendo Entertainment System in the United States for some reason. What was released on the Nintendo Entertainment System in the United States was Dig Dug 2, the much less heard of sequel to Dig Dug was ported to the NES in the United States. The much, 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 much more popular Dig Dug was not on the NES in the United States. Figure that out. I cannot figure out why they did that. That makes absolutely no sense to me. But I think that's the only, not the only game, uh, arcade game Nintendo actually did that with. Not that I could think of off the top of my head. I'm not, I'm not going to hurt myself. The low oil light's going on anyway. So, and... Um, a few uh, little bits more of trivia here. Dig Dug's real name, uh, the, the character's actual name isn't Dig Dug, it's Taizo Hori, which is a play on the phrase Hori Taizo, which means I want to dig. In other words, the phrase I dig not only means I understand, but I am a special sort of person who understands in a very special way. And I thought this was interesting. This is probably one of the most interesting bits of trivia I have ever heard from any game we've talked about so far. Dig Dug is the first video game character that is divorced. 
He is the ex-husband of the character Toby Kissy Masuyo, who is the heroine of the game Baraduke. The two have three children, Ataru Hori, Tayo Toby, and Susumi Susumi. There's a video game character who's been on my mind all the time, Susumi Hori. And Susumi Hori is the main character of the video game that I was playing earlier, Mr. Driller. Which, Mr. Driller's a fun game. Give it a shot. Try it out. You'll thank me later. So, yes, Dig Dug is the first video game character to have ever been divorced. Figure that one out. Some of these backstories from some of these characters, like Mario or Jumpman, was actually the bad guy in Donkey Kong for the way he treated Donkey Kong. Anyway... So, that's pretty much everything I have to say as far as the game itself goes. What do you have to say about Dig Dug? Or just have a friend who's mathematically inclined, like, stay with you while you play Pac-Man so you can know when that 700 points is passing. I play video games to turn my mind off. I mean, come on. Well, anyway, excuse me, Uh, you did know about... um, well, when you, you talked about a kill screen. What exactly happens on that kill screen? Like, you know what? I don't know. Oh. Uh, I want to think it's this, the same thing with uh, with Pac-Man, where it has like all the, the weird characters. But honestly, I don't recall. Hmm. Interesting. But I do I know... I wonder if maybe I should do a little research while we talk. Oh. Well, your mention of a kill screen kind of made me think of another... Well... I wouldn't call it a kill screen, but a kill situation. I've never been able to accomplish this mainly because I haven't really tried a heck of a lot. Is I don't I'm not very good at dig dug in the first place, so I'm I don't really want to spend a lot of time trying to accomplish this rather unhelpful thing. But apparently, what you can do is if your timing is just right, you can kill the last monster on the screen twice by basically pumping the monster and when a rock falls on the monster keep pumping so that it explodes right when the uh, rock lands on said monster unfortunately the level will not advance if you do that the only way to advance the only way out is suicide you actually have to kill yourself with a rock and if you don't have any rocks left well <laughs> you're i don't know what to tell you Just taking a look here, and this information coming from tvtropes.org, after you clear round 255 of Dig Dug, it warps you to round zero, and... Which technically doesn't exist, right? Exactly. And the game starts with putting a puka right on top of your character, so you instantly die before you can (laughs) do anything. Yeah, I seem to remember hearing that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So that is the kill screen. Oh, and of course... But some ROM revisions actually have that kill screen fixed, so that's not a... Not guaranteed. And of course, because I have to mention this, there is a strategy guide to Dig Dug in the September 1983 edition of Joystick Magazine, complete with uh, some patterns. Ah, yes, that's right. I forgot to mention that. Yes, Dig Dug is another game that you can beat with a pattern. Or patterns, as the case may be. Patterns, sure. So, uh, if I were the host, I would be asking you when the first time you played dig dug was but i'm not so i'm not going to ask you well so i'll just volunteer that information voluntarily i honestly don't know i want to think the first place i ever played it was at a convenience store whose name escapes me that was just right i don't know two blocks away from plainfield high school plainfield illinois and i cannot remember the name 
of the convenience store, but that might not be the first place I ever played it, although I think it is. And the main reason I can't remember the name of the place is because the convenience store was right in the path of the famous uh, Plainfield, what was it, 1990 tornado that destroyed my high school and everything in like a 30-mile path from Montgomery, Illinois to Joliet, Illinois. And, uh, wow, that was... That was creepy, let me tell you. But I'm pretty sure that is the place that I had first played Dig Dug. And I do know this. One thing I was researching is because I remember Dig Dug being the first video game in the arcade that you could actually continue your game. It's the first one that I saw in the arcade that you could continue the game, but it's not the first one. And, of course... The name of that game escapes me for a moment. And of course, I researched this earlier and forgot to uh, forgot to uh, write that information down. But yes, uh, this is one of the earlier uh, instances of a game with a continue feature. And quite frankly, I can understand games like Xenophobe or Terminator 2 or something that tells a story having yeah, a continue feature. Yeah. But a game of skill like Dig Dug, I don't understand that at all. I do... Th- if I pretty sure and again i correct me if i'm wrong uh in fact you know what i'll research this right now uh that you can actually turn on or off the dig dug continue feature through a dip switch setting and we'll see if my version of dig dug on mame on my desktop pc works found out that on mame on my laptop which it's a different version of mame you had to install a uh a Namco uh, yes, BIOS Nam- package. Yeah, Namco 53, I believe. Yes, and I don't remember having to do that with the older versions of MAME. You know what? We haven't talked about dip switch settings in a while. Bonus lives. Uh, the default is 20 or 60,000. You can set it to 10,000 only, or none, or 10,000 and 40,000, 20,000, 70,000, and every 70 thereafter, 20, 60, and 60, 10, 50, and 50, or 10, 40, and 40. Yeah, you can change the number of lives. You can the game will take lives anywhere from one. Alt give you lives anywhere from one to five. Difficulty easy, medium, hard, hardest. And then of course there's your allow continue. And then some of these Namco games have this thing on it called freeze, which which just basically freezes the game for some reason. Don't ask me why. Why is it there? I don't know. Don't ask oh, me I'm why. Sorry, you said don't ask you why. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. So. Um, what about you? Where's the first place you've played Dig Dug? It must have been Bally's Aladdin's Castle it, at the Lincoln Mall in Matson, Illinois. I remember uh, my brother yes. told me about this new game called Dig Dug, and I thought he said Dig Dog, but no. And uh, so I specifically looked for it next time I was at that arcade, and you know, and sure enough, there it was. And the weird thing is, in that era, like say in the 80s, that was the only place I saw it even though it was massively popular. Mm-hmm. But I only saw it at Aladdin's Castle. Like, I didn't see it at... Well, then again, for all practical purposes, Aladdin's Castle was the only arcade I ever went to regularly because my parents wouldn't take me to any of them. And my brother, who's 10 years older, didn't want his baby brother tagging along with him and his friends. <laughs> so I, never, I rarely got to see like other arcades, but I didn't see it in Kroger or any other places where you're going to bump into a random game. But the Dig Dug that I actually played most was the um, the Atari 8-bit version on the X. Actually, Atari, the, there were actually two different Atari 8-bit versions. 
Yeah, and there are, aren't there? Yeah, there are. Like the one that I was familiar with is actually in your possession right now. The XE, the version that I played on my brother's Atari sixty five XE, and that is my favorite home version of it. I think it's the most faithful to the arcade. It's really, really well done. I would have to disagree. I think the seventy eight hundred version is a lot closer. Seventy eight hundred um, version is really good, but the problem the is the only thing. The only thing that I think the XE has over the 7800, and this is going to be a duh moment, is the sound. sound because the computer has the pokey chip, whereas the 7800 does not. Yeah. Man, gotcha. Man, all the opportunities that Atari missed by not putting the pokey chip in the 7800. That was like the biggest freaking mistake they made with that thing. And they did not make very many mistakes with that. That's the irony of that whole thing. But the. Um, no, wait. If Dick Doug had a dog, and he had a bone, and he wanted to hide it, Dick Doug's dog would dig. And then when he wanted that bone back, Dick Doug's dog dug the bone to give it to Dick Doug. You dig? Dig the chick. Dig the cat. Dig the shades on the cat. And then if Duke Dang and Doc Mac at... Uh, at Duke Dang and Duke, Duke Dang, Dang and, and Doc, Doc Mac play Dig Doug and Galloping with Dick Ghost Doug's were dog. to play this game, then Duke and Doc would be playing Dig Doug. <laughs> we should get Duke and Doc to play Dig Dug. Holy crap, that is my goal for the new year. So what do you think of the game? What do I think of the game? I think yeah. it's, what do you well, think it's, it's game? a fun game. It's a fun game. Now, I know at least one listener who's probably <laughs> going to be flipping <laughs> tables when I say this. I actually prefer Mr. Do. <sighs> oh, gosh. I gotta do something about this cold. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm glad I'm not in some native Michigander's home right now. But, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, the thing is, Dig Dug. I mean, it's a, it's a classic. You can't not like it. You can't not like it. It's it's a really fun game. It's definitely challenging. It's got a lot of strategy involved with it. But I do when I find myself playing Dig Dug, I do miss being able to push the boulders around. Because you can push, yeah, I'll, you can push I'll give the you giant that. tomatoes or apples or whatever around in Mr. Do. And there's just some things that I really miss. I wish. What I do love, though, is that you get points for digging. Dig. Square. You get 10 well, points you, for yeah, every and I square. I was thinking about that because if it wasn't for that mechanic, I, I'm sorry, uh, let me rephrase that. That mechanic actually makes this game pretty close to Pac-Man in a way. Uh, the difference is you don't have to eat up all the dirt. And I've actually tried uh, eating up all the dirt in the first screen in Dig Dug. It's uh, not easy to do by no. a long shot. But if there's a monster trying to escape at the end of the level, and I know I'm not going to get there, I'm just going to dig as much as I possibly mm-hmm. can just to get as many points as I can get. One thing I've noticed is if a monster is trying to escape, he'll pretty much go for whatever. He'll, he'll pretty much turn into a ghost and go through all of the dirt. If you like create a tunnel... That will uh, distract him, and he'll actually try to take the tunnel up yeah. toward the toward the exit. So you can use that to gain some that, ground on that him. Is, that is a good strategy. I really love the sound effects and the music in this game. Uh, from oh, yeah, Dick yeah. Doug uh, uh, doing the you know pumping up the explosion of the uh, of your enemies, and I absolutely love the theme song. I think the theme song is one of the most is one of the catchiest of all of the cutesy kind of arcade game theme songs that are out there. I just absolutely love that theme song. I like and, the banjo um, sound on it. Uh, you mean when Dig Dug's walking? Yeah, it's a unique kind of sound that you don't hear in any other game music. You know, I'm going to have to look up on YouTube to see if anybody actually has played that on a banjo. 
there is the 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 famous uh, uh, YouTube video of the guy playing all of the uh, music and sound effects of Super Mario Brothers on his violin. But uh, I want to see if someone's done that on a banjo. Might be. I think you're right, actually. Now that I think about it. But um, I, I mean, I'm trying not to compare Mr. Do and Dig Dug. Doesn't want to do Dig Dug as its own thing, but it's kind of hard not to make the comparison because yeah. the games share the basic gameplay. You know. Well, thing is, I can mechanics. easily do I can easily do that without comparing because I never even heard of Mr. Do until probably the early to mid '90s. Uh huh. I was just so used to Mr. To uh, to Dig Dug. And I only happened upon Mr. Do by accident at a restaurant in Wisconsin, or maybe it was Bigfoot, Illinois. I don't remember. Bigfoot, so, Illinois. Yep, I never heard of that town. It's um, right on the border, not far from Interstate 90. It's it's uh, oh, like the Rockford area, and not that far west. Not that far west. Basically, you have to get on, get off 90, and head straight north for a while. Oh, but, like Woodstockish. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not far from there. If you know where Harvard is, Bigfoot is right there. Harvard, where they filmed the movie uh, Groundhog's Day. But anyway, but yeah, I can easily separate Dig Dug from Mr. Do. I mean, just Dig Dug for its own. Um, see, I'm kind of teetering between th- three continues and four continues on this. Three continues because it is a very challenging game, and I get kind of fed up with it easily. I can only play like play it twice and before i just want to kind of leave it alone but at the same time it's the challengingness and yes that is a word go look it up right now the challengingness is kind of what makes it endearing Mm -hmm. because it encourages you to build up some strategies and this is a wonderful game to investigate various strategies so i'm gonna rate it four continues out of five okay now i have to rate it a five because this is the first arcade game that I was actually getting any any really good at. Um, <laughs> that makes one kept, of us. And I kept coming back to it. I could easily get to, like, the... At one point, I could easily get to the ninth screen. Wow. Um, yeah. And the first time I saw made it past the fourth screen and I saw the, uh, the colors change on the screen, I'm like, whoa, I'm actually getting good at this thing. Jeez. And... Um, How good have you gotten? I again, I don't really keep track of my scores, and I have played this a few times recently. And of course, I'm nowhere near as good as it, at it now as I used to be, because I am almost fifty. Oh, and uh, for God's <laughs> sakes, how old was the world record holder of Cubert? I don't know. She was pretty old. Well, there you go. But no two people are alike. No so two people are we... alike. I mean, my the best my I've ever with... gotten, which was yeah. actually just a couple of weeks ago at Underground Retrocade, November 12th, was 63,240, and that's on the marathon setting. Yeah, marathon settings, as if it matters with my scores, whether it's marathon <laughs> or tournament settings. So let me ask you this. We, we actually, before we rate this game, I totally forgot to ask you. We already did. Oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, I gave it a five because I like this game. I think it's a... It's a as you were saying, it's got enough challenge. I think the graphics are cleaner than... I, I don't want to compare it to Mr. Do. Uh, let's just say the well, graphics, I think, anything, I think, are very crisp really, and Universal clean. Universal is not exactly renowned for clean graphics, so... Nah, true. That goes without but, saying. But I, I'm not going to compare it to Mr. Do at all, because Mr. Do is its own thing, and yes. I really like Mr. Do. And I, I have to rate this a five again, because I was really... I was actually fairly good at it when I was younger, I could play this one for a little while, and I just like I love the the uh, the graphics. The grass, graphics aren't 
outrageous, but they're clean. Uh, they're crisp. They get the job done. They and what they do, they do well. The uh, the music and the sound effects are excellent. I mean, this is all. This is. You know, I was going to say my Zen game, but this really isn't my Zen game. But just I, I just like this game a lot. It's a classic, and it deserves to be called a classic. I I would place it within Absolutely. the top ten with uh, with Pac with with like Pac Man. So. Oh man! So Speaking I, of classics, I'm trying to remember what commercial it was, but some years ago, there was a commercial for some online gaming site, and in that commercial, it was a game of Dig Dug, and they zoom in on the Dig Dug Reserve lives, and the Dig Dugs are talking to each other, and one of them says, oh, really? "This kind of goes against the backstory because one of them says, oh, so how are you doing?'" He's like, "Oh, my wife's pregnant." You know, "Oh, really? That's great." You know, "What are you gonna? Do you, any any ideas what you're gonna name the kid?" And he's like, "Well, if it's a boy, I'm thinking Dig Dug. Oh, that's a nice name. Or if it's a girl, I'm thinking Dig Dug. Well, that's lovely too." I'm trying to remember what that was <laughs> I, advertising. I think I remember that. Oh, dude, we'll have to look that up. We probably won't. Yeah, well, yeah, which we means might we're find not going to look it up. <laughs> but it's yeah, something exactly. that I'm surprised. I don't remember you mentioning this because, well, I've had a very rough day today. <laughs> and I, after my rough day, I rode my bike through a lot of wind to get home. But I don't remember you mentioning that if you have the high score on the high score table, it tells you, hey, great, now go for the world record or something along those lines. Yeah, a lot of Namco games actually did that. Really? Yeah, Dig Dug did that, Bosconian did that, Rally X did that. Rally X did that? Yeah. Might not be oh, every revision of the ROM. Well, I suck at Rally X, so that's why. But if you're going for the world record, well, you're going to have to uh, beat Ken House, whose marathon score on Twin Galaxies verified the 23rd of September 2003 was 5,225,160. I wonder how long that had to, you had to go on for that. Dang. It's, it's, it's not really the highest. Well, it's not the lowest scoring game either, but it's not the highest. He also has the tournament settings world record from the same exact day, 4,446,760. At least it was verified the same day. And Ken House also has the tournament settings record on Orcade.com, specifically five lives, no bonus. Performed December 12, 2010 during first ever Richie Knuckles Arcade Marathon. He got 1,963,850. And Orcade.com has the marathon world record as being held by Donald Hayes. He has a bunch of records. Performed September 26, 2009 at... Richie Knuckles, 4,860,000 perts. Well, there we go. Where? So you give it a four and I give it a five. Awesome. Should we talk about another game, do you think? Nice segue. Nice segue. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about another game. You think? I think. What should we talk about? Sure. Um, well, in order to... Um, kind of dodge any false advertising lawsuits i would we we told people we were going to talk about pac-mania so we better talk about pac-mania yeah that's true you know how sue happy the united states is yeah and we don't want to be slapped with one of those lawsuits no we might no. even get censured well not that we have a lot of money anyway so it's not like people are going to be able to get anything off us yeah so. Yeah, you want money from us? <laughs> Talk to Rory Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Mm, Pac-mania. Pac-mania. Mm, mm, Pac-mania. Why don't you talk to us? Tell us? Talk to us. Talk to me. Talk to me about the game. Tell me. Oh, 
Ah! Pac-Mania. Hoo-hoo. Uh, the game Pac-Mania. Uh, Wait, yes. Pac-Mania, isn't that your blog? No, that's Pac-Maniacs. And I, I oh. still have to write an article about Jawbreaker in that damn thing. Uh, Neil, if you're listening, I swear well, it will happen know what eventually. your project is between episodes. But anyway, Pac-Mania was um, a Pac-Man game. Yay. And Yay. it was released so in... So let 19- me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. You had a four-way joystick. You ate dots. You would eat Energizer pill, and then you could eat the ghosts. Monsters, actually. Oh, monsters. I'm sorry. Yes. And that's the game. That's the game. Yay. Yay. All right. Uh, thanks to Roy Coleman and uh, <laughs> Scott Lambert and blah, 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 Patreon, blah, blah, blah. Bye. No, actually, I bet there's more to it, though. Otherwise, ah. it wouldn't be a sequel. All right. Fine. Fine. Okay. So released at the end of 1987, November 30th in Japan, December 10th in North America, December 30th in Europe. So, uh, oh, and by the way, um, yeah, you have a four-way joystick, and of course, you have the player one, player two start buttons. There are also two additional buttons. Oh? What do these additional buttons do, he asks, knowing full well what they do, but I'm going to let you say it. Ah, the two buttons are labeled bounce. There's a bounce button to the left of the joystick and a bounce button to the right of the joystick. You may use either one. I have to ask this. Is this the first arcade game possibly the only arcade game where the jump button is actually labeled bounce i don't know i don't know i don't i don't think any other game has a bounce button hmm feedback bait oh yeah feedback bait oh by the way we did hear from our friend uh chris plus plus uh he's oh uh, he sent us a link. Uh, I, I haven't watched it yet, unfortunately. He sent us a YouTube link. I believe it's a character on the Carol Burnett show singing Feelings. Oh, uh, dude. But, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll post a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so basically it's an ambidextrous Pac-Man game. And it's pretty much just like any other of the, mo- uh, well, most of the previous Pac-Man games. We already talked about that. Jimmy G already told you about the Pac-Man games. Uh, There are some exceptions. First of all, there are five basic monsters in the game. That includes Sue. Now, what's interesting is that the monsters appear to be based loosely on how they are in the game Pac-Land and therefore also the Saturday morning cartoon Pac-Man. Inky kind of has this kind of airhead facial expression with googly eyes. Wait, what do I have? I have his airhead expression with googly eyes. Yes, you do. Yeah, I oh. have pictures to prove it, too, by the way. I'll post them to the uh, Facebook page. And Sue is dark purple, just like in Pac-Land and the Saturday Morning Cartoon Show, and one of the more dangerous monsters. There's one exception in that Blinky, who in most other Pac-Man games is the fastest and most dangerous, in the cartoon and the Pac-Land game, he's actually kind of dumb and slow, but for Pac-Mania, they kind of reverted him to his original fast and dangerous um, skill level. He's the most dangerous monster so far. There are also two additional monsters that are introduced later on in the game. There is a green monster called Funky and a gray monster called Spunky, and we'll, I'll get into that a little bit uh, Funky. later. Funky and Spunky. Funky and Spunky Cold Medina. But, um, get in Funky. This is a and, funky uh, Pac-Man. Something unique about this particular Pac-Man game, it is the old-fashioned maze kind of Pac-Man, except that it is a 3D isometric Pac-Man. And the maze scrolls in all four directions, too. 
And, uh, well, I, okay. Technically if it goes up and down, wait, which one is scroll is up and down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Scroll is up and down. Crawl is left and right. So it scrolls and crawls. Yeah. 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 Yes. That's correct. Yes. Cause the, when you're watching a TV show and something goes across the bottom of the screen, that's called a crawl. So crawl goes left to right. Scroll goes up and down. Yes. That's because, right. Oh, you think about it this way. When you would read a scroll from the, from the ye right. olden days, it would traditionally go up and down although some do have it left and right but traditionally up and down traditionally up and down sure and uh the graphics are severely updated they're not just flat two-dimensional graphics they're three-dimensional graphics taking advantage of modern technology in fact something i noticed is that the monsters kind of look like the monsters that were with the pac-man board game yes I know what you're talking about, actually. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to explain. Pac-Man is, basically, all the characters are three-dimensional, pretty much. And um, just to add to the graphics enhancement, Pac-Man now has two eyes. And the big thing, well, what's the purpose of the bounce button? Well, because Pac-Man can now jump. Do you want to come back to my place? Bouncy, bouncy. You can jump over the monsters, and... Pac-Man can actually change direction in mid-jump, in mid-air. Now, here's the thing, though. I mentioned Funky and Spunky. Those monsters can jump and will jump when Pac-Man jumps. And Funky can jump, but not quite as high as Pac-Man. So if you time it well, you'll be able to jump over Funky. Spunky, however, does jump as high as Pac-Man does. So if you try to jump over Spunky... Your toast. Forget it. It's not going to happen. Mmm, toast. Anyway. And the game Pac-Mania is divided into separate worlds. Oh? There is Block Town, in which the maze walls look kind of like Lego-ish blocks. Which is pretty cool. There's Pac-Man's Park. Actually, no, there's no hyphen in this name, so it's it's actually P-A-C-M-A-N, so it's Pac-Man's Park. Pac-Man's Park. And Pac-Man's Park is shaped just like the original Pac-Man maze. And the background music in this world, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, the background music that they use in Pac-Man's Park is kind of loosely based on the, uh, you know, those interstitials in the original Pac-Man, you know, the ghost Mm -hmm. runs over the nail. The music is based on that music. So I thought that was pretty cool. There's Sandbox Land. I, I really love the music in Sandbox Land. And Jungly Steps. I love the jungly steps. That's a very interesting little layout. There. It's very confusing sometimes, too, because you can't really tell if you're going, uh, if there's another level below you or what. It's, it's It, it could be confusing in some places. It really can be. It's a big M- challenge. Might I, might I uh, just say here right now at this point that um, Pac-Mania is an absolutely beautiful looking game. It really is. This adds a total new I mean the graphics in this game are just it's amazing what they've done with the Pac-Man style graphics but I just wanted to throw that in there right now at this point because you're talking about the level design and the first screen where you're basically it's like on all of like all on Legos that is just an amazing treat the second set of levels is basically Pac-Man the Pac-Man levels from the fir- from the original game uh, and those look beautiful Honestly, I don't really remember a whole lot about the third ones, but the jungly step, uh, jungly steps levels are just some of the most gorgeous levels you'll ever see in an arcade game, in my opinion. Let me for this kind of arcade game, in my opinion. Let's put it that way. So anyway, continue. Oh yes, yes, I shall continue. 
something that I did this time for when prepping for the show, which I didn't really ever do before, is I knew that, hey, this is a, a Japanese game, so I tried the Japan ROM as well as the North American ROM. Well, I've played the actual North American game, too. And there are actually differences between, say, the Japan version and all other versions. It's something that I really love is if you play a Japan only ROM, I think we might have talked about this when we, when we discussed Tinkle Pit, is that if you play a Japanese Namco ROM, you're going to get this dire warning that if you're playing this, that game anywhere else other than Japan, that you're in big trouble and you know, you're, gonna, you're violating the law and we're going to come take you away and you'll never see your mom again and all this stuff. I love that. I absolutely. And what I love about it is it's, it's written in perfect English, too. <laughs> but um, one of the differences between Japan and the other releases of Pac-Mania, well, in the at least the North American version of Pac-Mania, like if you go into an American arcade these days, this is likely what you're going to see. The rounds are grouped according to the world that they belong to. So you'll play all the rounds of one world. Say you'll play in the American version. Blocktown has one round. Uh, I, I believe the Japanese version has two, maybe three rounds in Blocktown, but you'll play the one Blocktown maze. And then you'll move on to Pac-Man's park which is, I believe, two mazes, and then you move on to the next world, etc. But the way it is in the Japanese version is that each round is, you actually go sequential by round number, not by world. So like round one might be Blocktown, round two might be somewhere in Pac-Man's Park, etc. So you're actually going to be jumping around from world to world as you advance, and you might notice that on the American version, if you pay close attention, you'll notice that the rounds are not numbered sequentially. Like you might go from round one to round five to round 13, et cetera, but still be in the same world. And then all of a sudden you're on round two or whatever. And this is, I'm just kind of making that up arbitrarily, but you'll notice the rounds are not numbered sequentially in North America. They are in Japan though. And even then North America's version of Pac-Mania does not have all the rounds in it. Really? So, yeah, I mean, it's very confusing. I, I didn't bother taking notes on which specific rounds are missing in which version, but uh, you can find plenty of, plenty of information on that, say, in Strategy Wiki and some other sites, too. Also, by default, the North American version allows you to choose what world you want to start with. In mm -hmm. Japan, you actually have to go into service mode and enable the select screen. It doesn't have that option in the North American version. And, and I noticed that Jungly Steps is not selectable, even though it's on the menu? It's on the menu. I'll tell you what, though. The Japanese version does let you choose it. Really? It does. I wonder why it's not selectable in the American version. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I mean, what's it would seem stupid to have something on the menu that you can't use. You can use it. You just have to earn your way to it. I think oh, is that what it is? That's probably what it is. It's probably just... Oh, kind of like uh, how in, uh, in Tempest... You can see a few extra levels, but you can't get to them unless you have completed that level in normal play. Yeah, and it might be enticing you to put more money in the machine. And what's weird is that there, on the North American Pac-Mania machine, it tells you when you start the game, you're automatically put in the menu select screen. On the Japanese version, assuming that the select screen is enabled, you mm -hmm. actually, after you deposit your credit, your yen, whatever... You actually have to hold the bounce button and hit the start button to get the uh, select screen. Well, that's weird. 
I don't know if it's documented or if it's an Easter egg. I'm, I'm guessing it's documented. But you know what? Thinking about it, in Dig Dug that we just talked about, now that I think about it, and the machines that have continue enabled, I believe you have to hold the pump button down and press the start button to continue. Oh, really? I believe so. Interesting. Um, I want to think that is the case. Uh, hmm. I think Interesting. Secondary theme. <laughs> now, something well, else no. interesting is um, in the Japanese version, they don't call the extra monsters funky and spunky. Oh? Instead, funky is called green and spunky is called common gray. And I'm guessing those are just supposed to be like generic terms. Oh, here's a green monster. Here's a gray monster. And I'm thinking they were not intended to be specific monsters of any particular name Hmm. because in some levels you will have multiple gray monsters and multiple green monsters. The picture of common gray. Regardless of whether you are in Boston. So I'm guessing that, hey, it was just in a, just the American distributor decided, you know what? We're going to give those monsters names. There's going to be a funky. There's going to be a spunky, even though they occur more than once in some levels. So that is interesting. And speaking of which, hey, since we're getting additional monsters, that probably affects the scoring, doesn't it? Well, yes, it does. How so? Well, monster breath. Because this is a Pac-Man game, the monsters, the scoring when you eat monsters after you have an energizer it's the same thing. You start at 200 and then 400 for the next monster, 800 for the next, and then 1600. If you eat five monsters, you get 3200. And then every additional monster you eat after that 3200 monster, you get 7650 per monster. You can score up some real points if you play this game right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something, boy, howdy. But that 7650 uh, mentioned in a prior episode, that is kind of a magic number with Namco. And I don't remember the term for it, but it's basically the in the Japanese. I, I don't know if it's the kanji alphabet. I don't remember. But uh if you were to assign a numeric value to, uh, I believe Namco's name mm-hmm. might be Namco. It comes out to seven, six and five zero. So that's why that number comes up a lot in Namco games. Let me see if I could do this here real quick. <clears throat> 76 50. It's a magic number. There we go. No, you can't do that. I just did. Ha! Um, as for other scores, um, dots and energizers are basically six times what you'd get in the previous Pac-Man games. 60 points per dot, 300 points per energizer. Now, going back to what Jimmy G said about how you can really rack up a pretty big score. Well, something unique to Pac-Land. Let's say you eat an energizer. You, you eat, eat an, an energizer. energizer. And then perhaps you eat two monsters. So that's... 200 and then 400 for those two monsters. And perhaps let's just figure that you still have time left on that energizer, but you go ahead and you eat another energizer. Well, the scoring resumes from where you left off. So instead of starting over at 200 for the new energizer, it resumes at 800 and then 1600, etc. So basically That's, what that you is kind do, of uh, that is interesting that they decided to go that route with this game, but it's uh not unwelcome because this uh, this game is actually quite a bit harder, and it'd be nice to oh, yeah. you know score some points to get those free lives. Which I believe the default for a free life in this game is a hundred thousand, isn't it? Yeah, I believe it. At least in the American version, you can change it though. I believe in the uh, the dip switch. So yeah, if you can be lucky enough to eat, say, all five monsters in the first level. And then hurry up and go eat another Energizer before the original Energizer's time would have run out. 
then you're looking at monsters being worth 7,650 points each. So yeah, you can really rack up some points with that. And not only that, there's another way that you can rack up points. Oh? Just like with the original Pac-Man, there are bonus items you can pick up, and they are referred to as fruit targets. When one of them shows up on the screen, you get a little message at the bottom of the screen just in case you're not anywhere near it. It'll let you know that there is a, and I quote, fruit target on the screen. So the fruit target, the first level, the fruit is cherry, just like in the original arcade version, the original Pac-Man. The next one is strawberry. Cherries are 1,000 points. Strawberries are 2,000 points. Then you have orange, which is 3,000. I believe there are two orange rounds. And then you get a red apple, which is 4,000 points. And then you get a a set of bananas, two bananas, I believe, worth 5,000 points. That is, the two bananas together are worth 5,000 points. And it's just one pair of bananas. It's not one banana and then another one. There's a peach in a later level that is worth 6,000 and a gold bell that's worth 7,000 and a gold key that is worth 8,000 points. And in addition to that, there's also what they call special items. There's a green dot, which will net you 1,000 points. And what the green dot will do is it'll make Pac-Man move a little bit faster for a short time. I was wondering what that one did because I would eat it. And since it would looked like an energizer except different color... I knew it had to do something, but I really couldn't quite figure out what it was. I didn't notice that I, my character actually moved any faster. Yeah, it's just a little bit faster. I think in the a couple of the home versions, you actually move noticeably faster. But it is, it's very subtle, but you do move faster for a little bit. And then there's a red dot. And if you eat the red dot, you get 7,650 points. And the red dot is kind of like the bonus items in um, Exciting New Pac-Man Plus in that you get a very short time to eat monsters. And during that time, the monster scoring is 400 for the first monster, 1,600 for the next monster, and then 7,650 for each additional. And what's really cool about that is... From that point on, whenever you eat an Energizer, that's what the monster munching scoring is like. The first monster will be 4,000. Uh, sorry, 400. Are we talking about scoring a lot of points in this game? Yep, yep. 1,600 for the next, 7,650 for the next additional after that, and it lasts until you lose a life. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're wrong. But also, well, wait to correct me first. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you eat the red... Uh, energizer in the middle there, or the the special target, whatever they call it, does it also not affect all of the ghosts on screen at that time? Even though we haven't talked about the game, in Pac-Man Plus, when you eat an Energizer, it doesn't always affect every ghost on the screen. Oh, I know what you're saying. Okay, yeah, because some of them don't actually... From what I can tell, no, it affects all of them. It affects all okay. of them. Okay. I could have sworn it didn't, but that might just be me. There are some other special items, as they call them, I don't believe they do anything special, at least not from what I could tell from both my experience and from research, but there's some other items like there's a starlight mint that gives you 4,000 points. There's a green apple that gives you 6,000 points, a coffee cup that gives you 5,000 points. There's a, there are two ice cream cones. There's one that's chocolate dipped that gives you 6,000 points and a vanilla swirl that gives you 8,000 points. Uh, there's a gray bell that gives you 9,000 points, a Galaxian flagship, again, giving you 7,650 okay. points. I was going to ask about that because yeah. 
in any of the Pac-Man games or whatever, when it shows uh, at the corner, you know, what level you're on, it always indicates like the fruit or something and the Galaxian flagship is usually there. And I was wondering about that because you didn't mention it in with the regular fruit, but I knew it had to have a place yeah. somewhere in this game. Well, actually, there are two different Galaxian flagships. There's the regular oh. one. And there's what they call the dark Galaxian flagship. The dark one is worth 9,000 points. Oh, Nice. Yeah. The hamburger is worth 7,000 points, and there's a gray key that's worth 10,000 points. And again, as far as I know, those other special items don't really do anything except give you points. I could be wrong. I don't know. Now, I find it interesting that this game has brought a lot of the formula from Pack, uh, Junior Pack, and Ms. Pack, and uh, brought it forward into the uh, into this game. And um, one thing it didn't do was uh, from Junior Pack or Ms. Pack is have the the fruit or the bonus targets or whatever. And by the way, uh, a bell and a key are fruit targets. Go figure. I, well, to tell you the truth, I don't know if it actually does say fruit targets when those things appear because they never made it that far. <laughs> I didn't feel like... <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good and point. And this game allows you to continue, but I never actually really continued far enough in because I sucked too badly to actually keep continuing and actually making progress. But to so, continue my thought... Yes, uh, do. This doesn't have the bouncing fruit in the maze. Right. And it pretty much brought everything from the first three Pac-Man games together into this one with the the added graphic enhancements and the bounce button. So I just thought that was interesting that that was one element that uh, that they didn't bring over was the bouncing fruit. Yeah, and the thing is, like, none of the Namco Pac-Man games actually has that. Oh, you know what? That's true. That's true because Ms. Pac and Junior Pac are not Namco Pac-Man games. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, Maybe that's we'll, why. We'll get into that a little bit from now. Continue. But for now, I think that's that's really all I need to say about the game and the gameplay itself. Uh, there are several, several, several home versions of Pac-Mania. Nowhere uh, there, near as many as Dig Dug had, though. Probably not. Like there's There was one for the Commodore 64 and the Amiga. The Amiga version is my personal favorite. I like it even better than the arcade version. Uh, both made by Grand Slam Entertainment, as well as Amstrad CPC, Atari ST. I had the Atari ST version. That was I enjoyed the heck out of the Atari ST version. Um, uh, yeah, and those two were also, and MSX, those were all made by Grand Slam Entertainment, as was the version for Sinclair ZX Spectrum, or if you're not in the United States, Sinclair ZX Spectrum. Actually, I think if you're in the United States, it would have been the Timex Sinclair, wouldn't it have been? I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, let's see, Tengen... Uh, made versions for the NES, the Sega Genesis, and the Sega Master System. Oh, and I did play the Sega Master System version uh, last night, and that was kind of a big so what. But Oh, really? Well, yeah. the, the NES version was not licensed. Which 90%, 99% of Tengen's games for the NES weren't. I think the yeah. only licensed one was Tetris, maybe Gauntlet. But, uh, I thought then their they Tetris got... was not licensed. I think it that, was. I think they put it the was kibosh in, on that one pretty early. Maybe it wasn't. I, I know a couple of their earlier titles were. Tetris is very rare because uh, there was a big lawsuit between Atari, which Atari Games, the arcade division of Atari, uh, it was actually behind the label Tengen. Yeah. And they got into a big dispute with Nintendo, and so they just said, you know, screw you. I'm gonna. We're just gonna make our own uh, our own games without uh, your development kit. And they, I guess, reverse engineered the NES and released their own games. so Interesting. Yeah, their games actually don't look like the, the typical Nintendo 
game pack. Uh, they're they're black, and th- the uh, the ends were sort of like tapered in like a like a, a triangle on the end, whereas the NES packs are just like flat and pretty much there you go. I know a thing or two. It seems to me that if there are multiple versions of a game on the NES and one of them is by Tengen, Tengen actually makes the much better one. <laughs> but I don't know. I'd have to look into that. Yeah, please do and uh, get back to us with uh, episode 45. Um, yeah, oh, by like the way, that's going to happen. <laughs> Tengen, by the way, Tengen only published those, uh, the NES and the Sega games. Uh, they were actually developed by different companies. Uh, NES, the NES Pac-Mania was developed and published by Tengen. Uh, the Genesis version was developed by Sculptured Software. And the Sega Master System version was developed by Tech Magic. Oh, and by the way, um, Namco itself did the Sharp six, uh, X68000 version. Say, now that's Apparently, sharp. that's the one that's most faithful to the arcade version. I, I want to just make mention of Tengen here, because I don't know if we're gonna ever get a chance to talk about this again. But one other thing Tengen did is they actually brought some Sega Master System games to the NES. Uh, they published oh, really? Space, Space Harrier, I know of, Shinobi, and um, Space Harrier, Shinobi, and Fantasy Zone. And I want to think there was one or two other, uh, one or two other Sega Master System games that they translated uh, and released on the NES. And in fact, I just the other day downloaded a couple of them and uh, emulated them illegally. And um, yeah, the Sega Master System versions of these games are way better, uh, especially Fantasy Zone. Holy cow, the NES Fantasy Zone is terrible. So anyway, just thought I'd drop that in as kind of a the more you know. There's one more home version that I have to mention, and this is for our friends over at the Amigos podcast. Uh, If you guys are listening, I have some wonderful news for you. There was a home version of Pac-Mania for the Acorn Archimedes. And I know nothing about that machine. I should download an emulator for that one. Yeah, right. I think it it was only released in England, I think. Uh, And what's interesting, the reason that they keep mentioning it on the... uh, on the Amigos podcast is because the Acorn Archimedes and the Amiga had a lot of titles in common of like the really big games on the Amiga, like Chaos Engine, I think. Like a lot mm-hmm. of games that were huge on the Amiga were also on the Acorn Archimedes. And it's like, who the hell's ever heard of this Acorn Archimedes thing? So every episode, they're like, was this on the Acorn Archimedes? And as far as I could tell, this is the only arcade port to reach the Acorn Archimedes. I could be wrong. I think we dis- didn't we discuss this, and I think I found like one or two other games. Oh, do tell. I want to think we discussed this. Um, oh gosh, and it's a game that was I think was ported toward the entire. I think Ixion was one of those games. I never heard of that game, so I have to take your word for that. that that's that was an arcade game, and it was also ported to the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, and it's kind of a typical space shooter. But uh, there was there were a couple. There were not very many, but there were a few. So there you go. Oh, by the way, Grand, did, I, did I mention Grand Slam Entertainment did the Acorn Archimedes uh, Pac-Mania? Oh, well. You just did. There we go. Um, so anyway, that's pretty much what I have to say about uh, Pac-Mania. Um, um, the first time that I, I remember very vividly the first time I ever saw and played Pac-Mania. It was the eighth grade class trip, uh, late May, early June, 1988. We went to Great America and they had an arcade there. And I remember seeing Pac-Mania there. And I was like, oh my God, a new Pac-Man game. So, of course, I had to pounce on that thing and play it. And uh, one thing that really stuck out to me 
was I noticed that it said Atari on it. And I was like, what? Because mm-hmm. I was like, I thought Midway did this. Because <laughs> I, I was like, what happened? Why is it not Midway? Because, you know, I didn't know all the stuff that was going on. I just knew, I just associated with Pac-Man with Bally Midway, you know? And we'll get to more about that in a little bit, actually. Yeah. And uh, the, the marquee on this thing is pretty interesting because it's got it's the not characters. Flat. It's not flat. No. The characters are kind of 3D on it. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, it's like it was um, like molded plastic. It was in uh, the what's the term for it? Like it was it's in relief. It it like juts out. It's not like a flat piece of glass or plastic like a normal marquee. It's it actually it's got beveled in a way. Yeah, I guess that's that, I guess. I that's know. the word, and I'm going to use it. There we go. It's three dimensional, and you'll know when you see it. It's Florzel Corp. There you go. The the whenever in doubt, corp it out. There you go. And you know. I actually remember the very first place I played this, and it was actually at an amusement park, just like yourself. I'm an amusement park? Unlike yourself, not at Great America. It was at Kings Island in Cincinnati, Ohio was the first Ah. place I ever played this. Actually, did I play it or did I just see it there? I think I did play it there. I know I played Space Harrier for the first time at Kings Island in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was on the same trip. So, yeah, and... um, Kings Island, yeah. Cincinnati, Ohio, home of one of the best wooden roller coasters in the world, The Beast. If you ever get out there, that is a must ride. I, it, up until like several years ago, it was still the longest in the world at a, just about a mile long. And um, oh, gosh, that's a great roller coaster. I need to get back there. So at any rate, there you go. At any rate. Kings Island, Cincinnati, Ohio. Actually, uh-huh. it's in the town of Kings Mills, Ohio. Interesting. So Kings Mills and Kings Island. I wonder... I'm trying to think of where King's Dominion is. I know it's, I think it's in Maryland Virginia. somewhere. Oh, Virginia. Okay. It's Virginia. It's uh, outside of Richmond, I think. It's not in Richmond. I think it's in the Richmond metro area between Norfolk and uh, D.C. Let's talk. Um, I want to talk about some scores, if uh, you don't mind, Mr. Host person thing. I mind okay, intently then I, then I won't. about that. All right. I'm over it. Go ahead. Okay. Twin Galaxies, the track on Twin Galaxies specifies that the game has to end at round 19, which is something else that I have to talk about. You can set the game to either end at a certain level, uh, which I believe the default ending is round 19 in the United States, 23 in Japan, or I should say North America, not the United States. So there's technically no kill screen. There's technically no kill screen, or you can set it to never end, just repeats. Um, but uh, for Twin Galaxies, they only have a track for ending at round 19. And somebody hmm. named Tonki Linderman, T-O-N-G-K-I, um, verified August 11, 2003 with a score of 2,172,250. That's pretty freaking impressive there. Yes. Orcade.com has only a track for an endless game. And Jimmy Linderman, I wonder if that's the same person, just with a more hmm. Americanized name. Performed September 26, 2009 at Richie Knuckles, 3,316,250 points. That's close to an actual, like, perfect game original Pac-Man in a way. In this game, it didn't seem, doesn't seem to me it would take horrible long to get a score like that. Well, it's just it, that the game is yeah, harder. Yeah. And uh, my high score uh, performed October 10th, 2015 at, uh, you may fill in the blank. Where did you perform it at? Underground Retrocade, of course. Oh, duh. 
But uh, my high score was 202,810, which for about a week or two was the house high. Nice. Right when Scott brought that out in the game floor, there was like this huge battle of, of house high scores on this. And mine, mine was the victim of that battle, unfortunately. But, and um, as per usual, I don't remember my scores. Well, you, you should, at least a ballpark, so you have something to reach for, you know. Yeah, I should do I should do more with Orcade. In fact, I just recently uh, verified a score at on Orcade for a game at uh, Galloping Ghost, and I don't remember what that was. Was it Gyrus? No, it wasn't Gyrus. It was something else. I'm going to look that up real quick. Oh, yeah. I just verified a score for Burger Time. Oh, really? That galloping ghost. 75,050. I made it through Ooh. the entire sequence of mazes. That might be higher than my arcade high. Ooh, what are, what are my high scores on here? Black Widow, 129.75. Burger Time, 75.50. Gyrus, I still haven't made it to 150,000. That's 132.50. And Roadrunner, 126.950. Wow. Yeah, I still haven't hit 100,000 on Gyrus. That game can get pretty fun and hard. Oh, I've got a total of 25 tokens. I think I played, I must have played like 10 straight games of Gyrus. I got so hooked on that last time I went to the uh, Underground Retrocade. I've been actually staying away from Gyrus a little bit lately just to play more different games and seeing if there's something else out there that I might uh, might like alongside it. So I, I need to get back into playing it. But anyway, continue with what you were saying. I think I was done with what I was saying, actually. So, um Yeah. yeah. So I, well, there we are. Well, and like, well, then again, I didn't rate the game since I was assigned this game. I might as well rate it. Um, well, you love the Pac-Man games, and so you're the authority on I'm Pac-Man. A, I'm a big fan of Pac-Man games. Uh, this Pac-Mania, I think, is the absolute best Pac-Man game you possibly could have had for 1987, 1988. It was perfect with the times and everything, and it really still... It hasn't worn out its welcome at all, I don't think. It's still very enjoyable, still very challenging. It's got a lot of great twists. If you know how to play Pac-Man, you'll easily be able to pick up to to, uh, play this game, not necessarily easily. It's very challenging, um, especially the jungly steps. Um, And I'm Mm -hmm. not a big fan of ongoing music in video games, like for example, if I'm playing, if I download a game on mm-hmm. my phone, I'm gonna turn the music off because I don't like. I just don't normally like it. I do like the music in this game. I do like the Pac-Man, especially the Sandbox Land music. I really, I, I really love it there. There's one thing that I cannot stand about Pac-Mania is that oh. there's a delay when you hit the bounce button. Like there's about a quarter of a second delay. It's so, not a long delay, but it's enough it's, to yeah. It's enough to make you rethink your strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it's so easy to get caught up in the action that you don't realize that. If it weren't for that, I would rate Pac-Mania five continues. But no, it's going to be four continues for me. Well, I'm going to agree with you on the four continues. I really, really like this game. Uh, I'm not good at it. The music is great. The sound effects are great. My favorite sound effect in this game is when you hit the bounce button and then you land. It makes like a Pac-Man doesn't just jump. He actually does bounce. He jumps and then he makes like a little, you know, additional bounce like you're uh, like throwing a ball. You know, when you throw a ball and it hits the ground and it just bounces and it gets smaller and smaller. Does that a little bit. 
but the sound effect of Pac-Man hitting the maze after the bounce. It sounds like kind of like a little knock on wood. I just love that sound effect. It's very, very subtle. You kind of got to listen for it. But that's just, I just love that sound effect. Uh, The graphics in this game are phenomenal. It's the best looking of any of the Pac-Man games. The music sound effects, awesome. It's just missing that something from me. It's one again, one of those things that I just really can't put my finger on. It's like what the French say, I don't know what. Exactly. I don't know what it is, but this is it's just missing that one thing to keep it from being just totally an amazing game. I just really can't place my finger on it. Uh it's it's probably because I just suck at it. But um one thing I don't think I don't recall hearing you mention in Ms. Pac-Man when they had the intermissions. Oh, I know it what you're like, going to say. Yes, yeah, I did it was not like mention they had it. like the, the, the movie clapboard which said Act One, Act Two, Act Three. The sort of intermissions in this game are are similar. They don't have like the clapboard, but they have like the little I what are they called? The feeder holes on the, yeah, on the sides I, I of the film. Mean, yeah. So so where the intermissions in this game are actually like uh, like being like a movie as well. Yes. So and it also has that I, in common. I think the start screen has that too. Not the select screen, but the actual start screen has that as well. Yes, it yes, it does. I, I, you know what? I think on the select screen of the still image it's got the uh, got the the holes. It's just they I don't think they're moving on that. Gotcha. And of course, there are two ways to think about that. Number one, is it possible that they carried that over from Ms. Pac-Man? Possibly, yes. But would they have actually intentionally done that, though, number two? Would they have done number two? Because remember, Ms. Pac-Man was not really a Namco game. But then again, I remember hearing, I think, Vert Vic Viper was talking about this on uh, the Tenpence Arcade, that Shout out. Apparently, it's not as um, unauthorized as most people think it is, and I really want to get the, the whole story on that. So if that's the case, then maybe, yeah, it was carried over from Ms. Pac-Man, not just kind of coincidence. Well, certainly, uh, being the most successful of the Pac-Man games, Namco had no uh, qualms about putting that in every collect- Ms. Pac-Man in every yeah. collection thereafter and making tons and tons of cash off of it. Well, so. yeah, they realize you can't argue with success or against mm-hmm. success. Indeed. So there's that, which is what I've been saying when I really can't say any more. Well, if you can't say any more, then what more is there to say? I mean... The theme. Oh, the theme. Yes. Yeah, the theme for today's show is arcade games that were created by Namco over in Japan, but released by Atari in the United States. Oh. Ah. You see what we did there? Uh Uh-huh. I see what we did there. So I think with that, first of all, Let's uh, talk about what we're going to do the next couple of episodes. Maybe we should elaborate at least on why Atari distributed Pac-Mania. Oh, yes. Why don't you do that? Well, think about this. I have my thinking toque on. You know the answer to this. So feel free to answer this correctly, please. What is the first official sequel to Pac-Man? Super Pac-Man. Super Pac-Man, yeah. Ask anybody off the street, though. What is that person likely going to say? Ms. Pac-Man. Ms. Pac-Man, yeah. Ms. Pac-Man. Ms. Pac-Man, which was a Midway game created by GCC, not by Namco. So there was that. There was also Junior Pac-Man. There was Exciting New Pac-Man Plus. There was Baby Pac-Man. And of course, your favorite of the Pac-Man games, Professor Pac-Man. Shut up. (laughs) And there was Professor... I said we never had to mention that game again, but... I'm just so evil, I have to do it. Professor Stupid Head 
damn mother stupid leech sucking poopy professor pac-man um which was also not a namco game at all it was a midway so that's five now all right the mr and mrs pac-man pinball machine was that namco or at least authorized by namco that i could not tell you okay so that that's up in the air but basically namco was getting fed up with midway coming out with all these sequels and spinoffs so they're like, you know what? We're taking your Pac-Man license away. We're going to have somebody else distribute that. Now, the thing is, though, Atari- No pack was, for you. Why was Atari distributing Dig Dug and not Bally Midway? That was long before Midway lost the rights to the Pac-Man game. So why was Atari? I think Namco was uh, was not just licensing stuff to just Bally Midway. Uh, there's the famous story, which uh, two games that we have yet to talk about, which we probably should, where- Oh, we should probably theme them together just because of that. But where Namco came out with a couple of games and they're marketing them around. And one of the games was Pole Position, which That's was right. a racing yeah. game. And the other one was Mappy, uh, which was a QD mouse bouncing trampoline game. And uh, they gave Bailey Midway first shot at it because they had a working partnership with them. And Bailey Midway chose Mappy. And then they said, here, Atari, you want uh, you want to take Pole Position? And they're like, yeah, sure. Of course, Pole Position goes on to be the, the bigger hit. And... Um, I think that has a real lot to do with it. They they were just they were just shopping stuff around and seeing uh, seeing who wanted what at uh, at one point. Huh. That's at least the way that that's at least the way I uh, I interpret the history of it. When you you know when you take the pole position mappy uh, situation into uh, into account. Indeed. That silence means I'm right. Sure. Let's go with that. Ah, awesome. So yeah, let's uh, let's first let's talk about what we're doing the next couple of games. The next episode, we're gonna do something special. We're gonna do a, a year-end show. It'll be episode number forty-five, which kind of breaks up our like every ten, you know, for a special episode. But it, it's gonna be a year-end thing. And we were talking about this, and we're gonna go through the back episodes, and for every episode in which Sean and I have both rated a game of five. We're going to go back through and uh, reconsider the games and uh, see if, if the ratings stand up and seeing if mm-hmm. they do not. And it looks like there's going to be talking. We're going to be talking about 19 games. Wow. Wow. Such value for the money. And and so if we spend a minute per game, this podcast is going to be over in 19 minutes. Yeah, I know. Wow. And to add to the value, we're going to have a special guest. At least we hope we're going to have a special guest. Yeah, we're we're, we're hammering out the deals. We we uh, our our oh, people are having lunch with them again. Oh, dude, dude. Uh oh. Speaking of what? themes, we have another theme for episode forty-four. Oh, both Pac-Mania and Dig Dug have Orcade.com world records set on the exact same day at the exact same arcade at Richie Knuckles, September twenty-sixth. 2009 oh well there you go you see there's even more value pie factory means value and i think all of our listeners know that by now so there's that so anyway yeah yeah, we're going to be having our year-end special rethinking the fives is the theme of the the episode it's like playing the dozens except we're rethinking the fives rethinking the fives and we're working on getting a special guest in for that episode oh and speaking of special guest uh, i heard from our contest winner gary ferguson oh yes he has received the prize and he's loving it and he Yay. said he has to fight his kids over it uh glad you're enjoying <laughs> it gary thank you for for participating 
And oh, by the way, we forgot to mention um, it. Uh, there's a swap meet happening at Galloping Ghost Arcade uh, for those oh, of you who can get yes. there. December uh, 10th. And uh, anybody else have any arcade news for your area or whatever, feel free to let us know. You know, Yeah, let us know. We're just too lazy to dig it up ourselves. Yeah, Pie Factory Podcast at um, fab4it.com or piefactory at fab4it.com, and you'll hear our booth announcer tell you other ways uh, you can contact us. And uh, uh, we should also um, acknowledge our Patreon sponsors, shouldn't well, we? I want to say one other thing real quick, though. Please. Uh, after our year in special, the first episode of the new year, we are going to be talking about the arcade games Missile Command and Mousetrap. Ooh. Sorely yes, missing be a... from our list right there. That's, a good, that's yes. a good thing we're doing that. So uh, so there you go. That's uh, that's how we're winding up the end of the year. I want to, uh, again, acknowledge our Patreon sponsors, and I want to give them mobster names, like mobster quotation mark names. So um, thank you to Richard the Face Valdez, Keith Bike Guy Sheehan, Jonas the Skipper Rulo, Greg the Sneeze Polander, Nate the Shark Lockhart, Scott the Fish Lambert, Kyle the Otter Etter, Michael Skinny D'Angelo, and Rory Charles Coleman. <laughs> Thank you guys for being our faithful sponsors, and we hope this episode doesn't, uh, you know, put you off from future donations. And by the way, that was also reverse alphabetical order. Ooh, I see what you did there. Actually, no, I don't I see there? what you did there. But I think with that, we'll bring this episode to a close. And yeah, well, no I should bring blunder, myself to close no, too. So uh, uh, no microwave already. Again, we're gonna just blow this one up until the episode's belly pops. So, there you go. There you go. There you go. And I think with that, we will bid everybody a fond farewell and have a happy, happy holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy New Year's. Happy Hanukkah. Happy National Aluminum Siding Month. And I have really oh, got right. to find out when that is. And, uh, you know, make up a few holidays and throw them in there for good measure as well. Sure, sure. Absolutely. So, so Happy well. Give Jim $100 Day. And happy Give the Piper at the Gates of Sean $100.50 Day. There we are. So there. All right. Once again, the from the irradiated lands of Morris, Illinois, this is Jimmy G. And from the Marshall Fields of Chicago, this is the Piper at the Gates of Shine. And we'll talk to you all in a couple of weeks. Sure, let's go with that. Yeah, why not? Bye-bye. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy CTA Holiday Train, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arada was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. My daughter just walked in here and handed me a basket of french fries with dipping sauce. And she had a little note attached to it said, Dad Ken has noms. So I'm having some noms. Well, I'm having one drop of grapefruit shandy that's left in this Ooh, can. The real Slim Shandy? The real Slim Shandy. I think I've done that joke. All right. Anyway. Probably. What's the rule? If you think you've done that joke, you have. If you didn't think you've done that joke, you have. But um, Ooh, what else is in here? Ooh, chicken wings. Well, there's also chicken wings in this. Ooh, and a chicken bone. And a chicken bone, huh? Somebody ate the meat off the chicken wings.
My wife has a classic King's Dominion story. So next time you see her, have her tell you the King's Dominion story. You know, you know what's funny is um, for a while, King's Island, King's Dominion, uh, and then they also had a park, Canada's Wonderland, were owned by Paramount Studios. They're Paramount theme parks. Oh, and, that kind of explains something. Yeah, and they had, uh, King's Dominion had a roller coaster called The Hurler. It was themed after the movie Wayne's World. Huh, interesting. But that, oh, that's fascinating. I never, I never realized, I never knew that. That explains an episode of the Brady Bunch, uh, rest in peace, Florence Henderson again. Actually, they weren't a Paramount Park then. Really? That was, they they oh. were a different company back then. Ah, huh. Interesting. Yes. What a coincidence. But anyway. Amongst the mess that is my recording studio. <laughs> I said I had a recording studio. <laughs> it's a microphone plugged into a PC. Granted, it's a nice microphone that uh, a mysterious donor uh, purchased for me. And uh, Well, some people who have heard our podcast say that apparently all you need is a microphone plugged into a PC to do a podcast. So. Some people say all you need are, is two turntables and a microphone. I don't know if you saw, but Scott Lambert once, I don't know if he told the joke or if he shared it on Facebook, but he's like, what's the easiest way to become a millionaire? And huh. the, an- the answer is be a billionaire and open an arcade. <laughs> kind of reminds me of the old Steve Martin joke. How to be a millionaire and never pay taxes. First, get a million dollars. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's awesome.